Welcome to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. I believe there's a rhythm and art in everything that we do. This is my journey about how I went from being a hip hop dancing engineer to a multifamily real estate investor. If you want to learn more about how you can start investing in real estate, stay tuned to learn from multifamily real estate investors and hear how they found their rhythm and created their own sound investments. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Koo, and this is the show where I interview multifamily real estate investors and discuss how they found their rhythm and created their own sound investments. Now for this episode, this episode is part two of my conversation with Rodney Thompson. If you want to listen to part one, it is just the previous episode. So take a listen there. Uh, you can hear the continuity into this conversation. We're going to go right into it. Thank you for coming back and enjoy the show. What were the actionable steps that you took to getting that first deal? And how big was your first deal? Your big first multifamily deal? So I had, I, I understood that I needed to have a, a mentor okay. and, you know, and listening to podcasts, the thing that you hear, the theme that you hear over and over again is, is about how it's a, a team sport. Mm-hmm. And that, that I also understand that the team sport part of it can be defined in a multitude of ways because there are attorneys, mortgage brokers, real estate brokers, insurance agents that are all part of your team, but not necessarily on your team, on your home team per se. So they're, they're not working for you or in your organization, but they're all required to, to make the deal happen. Well, there's also team players that you have to work with to make the deal happen because there's a lot of moving parts you have. And so, you, you know, you have the mortgage brokers, the attorneys, the, the insurance agents, but then you have to, you know, you're raising, depending on the size of the deal, a million to, you know, like the deal that we're on right now are raising $6.5 million. Well, you can't do that on your own when you're first starting out. You just can't. And the first deal that I found that I turned an LOI in on, well, I turned on other LOIs, but let's just talk about one that my LOIs was accepted on was 176 units in Montgomery, Alabama. And we got the deal for $11.4 million. And our raise on that was 2.8, I think. Okay. It was 2.8. And, you know, there's, there's no way I could have done that by myself, raised $2.8 million. And with, when you're doing a non-recourse loan with agency debt on it, you have to have net worth that's equal to the loan amount. And then you also have to have liquidity that's equal to 10% of, I believe it's the uh, 10% of liquidity equal to your down payment. So if your, okay. if your raise is, if you know, if your raise is, is $2 million, you have to have 200 grand in liquidity. Liquidity. Got it. And then if you're, if you're raising, you know, like if your property is 11.4 million and let's say you're, loan on that is $8 million. That's what you have to have a net worth. And, you know, I can't do that by myself. So I have to have people that can come on to the deal with me 
in a KP capacity that can help fill the, that uh, requirement. And so that's where it becomes a team sport. And how did you, uh, you know, meet this group? And, and also very impressive that you just went uh, from single family and then you're like, oh, 176 units. Let's, let's take this, let's take this down. If, how did you meet these partners that were the, these general partners for this deal? I knew that I needed a mentor. So I started looking around to see what I could find. And there were different groups, you know, there's Michael Blanc, Brad Sumrock. Those mm-hmm. are kind of some of the big names, Jake and Gino. And I started contacting them and, and talking to them about uh, their programs and all of them. I kind of felt it was a kind of a impersonal touch. Hmm. Okay. And I really wanted to be involved in a group that I could have direct contact with the, the main dude. I, I didn't want to be talking to some coach that, uh, you know, was being paid to talk to me. And so I was listening to a podcast and I ran across Mark Kinney was being, was one of the people that was being interviewed. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was talking about on the podcast about how they were having a fire summit and it was coming up very soon. I looked up his website and I, I think I sent an email or I might've called and left a voicemail, but my phone rang and it was actually Mark Kinney on the other line. And what? <laughs> yeah, that's I, cool. I was, that's tight. I, I was like, well, that was pretty good. And, and I talked to him for like 45 minutes, asked him all kinds of questions, told him what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go. And I never felt like I was being rushed to get off the phone. And, you know, I talked to people before that, that are you know, higher up in organizations and things like that. And they always tend, well, a lot of them tend to have a short time attention span. It's like they listen to you for a while and then all of a sudden they're bored and they, they tune you out. <laughs> yeah. And, and Mark never did that. And I was, that really impressed me. And so I went to the fire summit and I, and I ended up joining his group at the fire summit. And uh, the theme that you hear, not just from his group, but from just in general is that it, you have to underwrite at least a hundred deals and it takes at least a year to find your first deal. And I, I said, no, that, that timeline doesn't work for me. <laughs> I, I want to find a deal in six months. Okay. So they, he has a, he has a deal. He has a, an event every six months, April and November, April and November. And I went to the April deal and I set a goal. I said, I wanted to have a deal by September when I come back to the September deal. And by the time I came back to the September deal, I had an LOI accepted. Now I hadn't closed on the deal, but I had an LOI accepted. And that was getting up every morning at four o'clock and analyzing deal after deal, after deal, after deal. And I got this deal under contract and we closed in December of 2020. I'm sorry, 2019 on, on uh, 176 units in Montgomery, Alabama. Congrats. Thanks. That's, yeah. That's, you know, that's the, 
the epitome of just what a, a true hustler and it's like just the the first deal of how it wasn't all sunshine and daisies and you didn't just walk into that first deal you really just put in the work and i mean you found this mentor surrounding yourself with like-minded people and waking up at 4 a.m just to underwrite deals and really understands the the business is very respectful respectable and and also respectful i guess to <laughs> to, to to your crafts but you know, that's, that's very admirable. Now, you know, when, so you're underwriting and you put in this LOI and, you know, you raised some money for the deal. I'm also assuming as well. Is that correct? Yep. Now, when you were first raising that first raise, I'm curious how that experience was. So I, I sat down and I exported my phone directory to an Excel file and imported it into MailChimp. And I just started emailing people and telling them about multifamily and the investment opportunity. And then when I found the deal, I started talking to, I started emailing them about the deal. Uh And I had a few people call me and I met with them and then they invested with me. And, and it's, it's great because, you know, I've been in it for 30 years and I didn't have any investment experience, but but I had tenacity and perseverance and I'd been in management. So, I mean, I, I knew management and I had a good understanding of, of multifamily real estate and how it all worked. And so they took a chance and invested with me, which is great. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing that, you know, even with your track, even though you didn't have the per se track record of multifamily that they really, um, that they still stuck with you and invested with you and in your story and in you as a person that it just wasn't the deal. Now, uh, was this deal, was it 506C, 506B? 506B. 506B. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. And then it's, you know, I'm not going to lie. It's pretty inspirational just kind of hearing, hearing, the journey of, of how you got to where you got to. And it also, it sounded like it was a very accelerated journey as well. It, it, didn't seem like it took too much time to to get to where you were, but I guess bringing it also back to uh, what we were talking about in terms of like planting those seeds, and you know, you wouldn't be where you were if you didn't take the steps that you took prior. I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm just <laughs> just talking. <Yeah. laughs> no, no, and and I wanted to have another deal you know, with by the time we met again in April, and of course the whole April thing got canceled because of pandemic. And, you know, like I said before, that's okay. It allowed me to re reposition and, and refocus. And I think it's been good. I, I really do. I think it's been good. The time that I've been able to spend not only refocusing on myself, but refocusing on brand, on branding who I am, because, you know, it's like, it's like we, we, you and I spoke about in the, in the Twin Cities meetup is that people don't invest in your, your logo or your company name or how fancy of a website that you have. They invest in you. And by working on you and the brand that's of, of who you are, that's what investors are, are looking for. And um, I, I think it speaks volumes for, for investors when they, when they look and they see, you know, this is, this is what this guy's done. And I think that he's going to be able to produce 
the the revenue and and make the property profitable now you know you're you're focusing brands you know yourself and you know you kind of took a little bit of a step back from like acquisitions but now you're jumping back into it now is there a certain market that you're focused is is it still over in alabama that you're focused on or is it somewhere else I'm not focused on Alabama. Logan was, you know, I'm back to Logan Freeman again, but but he was always talking about investing in your backyard, mm-hmm. and and I always my my comeback was my comeback on that was well, that's easy for you to say, Logan. You live in Kansas City, which is a big, pretty big MSA. Me, I'm in Southeast Minnesota, but I did see quite a bit of deals that were coming across my desk for Iowa. And I'd always just kind of blow them off, you know, Iowa. I was like, oh, delete. And so then I I really started looking at at Iowa. And and so that's really been my concentration. I've I've moved my concentration to kind of central US. And we've looked at deals in Oklahoma. Some of them work, some of them don't. We've looked at deals in Kansas City. We've looked at deals in Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin. I haven't looked in any in the Dakotas yet, but we would be interested in those. I did talk to a property manager in Dakota, uh, South Dakota, and um, she said that there's deals being made over there, but a lot of them never make it to market. They're, they're, they have this group of people over there that trade amongst each other comes available and another guy and another guy in the market buys it. So, but I wouldn't mind South Dakota, Dustin, was it Dustin Hendrickson? He's in South Dakota and he does quite a bit of stuff over there. So nice. So if people want to get in contact with you and invest with you, what's the best way that they can, they can reach you. So I am very prolific on uh, LinkedIn Okay. So if you search, if you search Rodney Thompson on LinkedIn, you should be able to find me, Solaris Equity Partners. Uh, you can also reach me by email at Rodney at SolarisEquity.com. And then you can also go to SolarisEquity.com, my website. And uh, there are several links on there to be able to get, uh, schedule a call with me or ask for more information. Got it. Thank you. We're not. I hope you know that we're not done just yet. I mean, unless you want to be done, but like, there's a the whole other. <laughs> I mean, uh, I have plenty more questions just to just to ask you if you don't mind. I mean, we are three minutes sure. over. Okay, you know, because I, I know we're still recording, but like, I'm I'm probably gonna chop it up. Uh, but you know, I honestly that first section was amazing. And, you know, I've learned so much just about you and your journey. And then also just like how you came to, to where you are now. And now I want to get a little bit more granular and, and I hate to sound selfish, but now talking about people that are in the same position that I'm in and trying to do, or trying to be multifamily real estate investors for these larger assets, whether I have a lot of money or little to zero money at all. And so for the person that has, you know, a good chunk of change, or well, I guess the first question, how much how much do you think you would need to get started in multifamily real estate investing? They, and let's say they want to get started in syndications specifically. Well, I 
I would say you could start out with zero. Okay. Really good. I mean, if you, if you sought out a mentor that would be willing to take you on as, as a mentee and, and work with them, I think it's harder to find that person because you can't just call somebody up and say, you know, Hey, you know, I'd like to work with you and, and I want to learn all you do. The person on the other end would probably say, you know, thank you very much, but I'm very busy. Uh, you know, listen to this guy or that guy on a podcast and call me later kind of thing. Like, I'm not saying that somebody would be that cold, but these guys that are really doing a lot in the market are busy. They're really busy. So how could you be of value to that person? Mm -hmm. That's what you would need to ask yourself. Or plan B is to find a paid mentorship like a Jake or Gino or a Mark Kinney kind of thing and get in with their group, Mm -hmm. which is not cheap. And so if you have some money, you can, you can afford to pay for a membership in their mentor group. And then you don't necessarily have to have any money beyond that because I don't want people to feel like they can't get into multifamily because they don't have tons of money. Cause I didn't, I didn't, when I got in, I didn't have tons of money. You know, you and I talked about being a JV on at the Twin City meetup and you were asking me about why I went multifamily versus or syndication versus versus JV. And, and I think that, um, and, and I said, well, I think JV, I would have had to have more money, which isn't always true. I mean, you can, you can go get into a JV deal if you have a good relationship with somebody where they're funding the thing and you're, you're running it. Oh, and for people that don't know what JV is, it stands for joint venture. And right. A joint yeah. venture. So you're kind of a partner, right? Right. You're in a partner deal and there's no passive investors. Everyone has there's, a, there's no a passive role. investors. Everybody's active, mm-hmm. but you're going to have to find somebody that's going to trust you as an operator to say, you know, Hey, give me 200 grand to invest in this and I'll run it. You, you bring the money and I'll run it. Now you're going to run it together. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but you're going to have to find that special relationship for that. Syndication is kind of the same, but you're with a syndication. If you get in with a mentor or with a group, then you can, you can use that person's track record and experience and net worth and liquidity to get involved in a deal so that you can get experience and you can get exposure to brokers and you can start becoming active in the market so that people will understand that you are the real deal. And, you know, most syndications have an acquisition fee. And so if you, if you take the, like, if you talk to an investor, I've had a lot of investors ask me if I'm investing in the deal and it's important to them because they figure that if you're investing in the deal, then it's a good deal. And so if you take your acquisition fee that you would get and you roll it into the deal, now you can say, yes, I'm investing in the deal. I'm putting 25K, 50K into the deal. And 
yeah, you're not coming up with it out of your bank account, but it's money that you earned because you put the deal together and you're taking that money and you're not, you're not taking it for yourself and putting your bank account, you're putting it into the deal. So you can say, yep, I'm investing, you know, 25 K 50 K into the deal. And, and now you've got track record and experience that you're starting to build for yourself. So that's, to me, that's at least what I saw. That was a faster way to get rec, you know, reputation and track record through multifamily syndication via a mentor versus junior or doing the JV. Doing the JV. Now, you know, when, when we have a mentor, you know, they, they have come with a lot of resources. They come with a coach, you know, the coach that coaches them through the conversations of how you maintain, um, your credibility and reputation when you are speaking with brokers. But I want to dive into that conversation when we're talking about finding the deal uh, with brokers and, and coming off as a newbie, right? Because, uh, you know, there is a common theme and narrative where people are saying like, oh, you don't want to come off as a tire kicker when you are talking with these brokers. So what are some do's and don'ts when we talk to these brokers? The one thing that that you can do is with your mentor is you can under, you can have the understanding with your mentor that you're going in as a partnership on the deal that you're working on. And you have to have that understanding up front. You can't just assume that your mentor is going to be partnering with you. But if you, if he is, or she is, then you can approach the bro- the broker and say, my partners and I, this is a key phrase, my partners and I acquired 1,000 units, 1,500 units, 2,000 units last year, and we are looking to acquire properties in whatever the, you know, Atlanta or Montgomery or Little Rock or wherever it is that you're acquiring. And I would like to be on your list because they have a list that they send out deals. And usually if they see that you're a valid type buyer, they'll put you on their list. Then you'll start getting stuff in your email. And, and then you can, they'll require you to sign a confidentiality agreement. And then they'll send you the, the OM, which is offering memorandum, the T12, which is the trailing 12, which is like a PL statement, shows all of the incoming and outgoing revenue from the past year past 12 months and what's called a rent roll, which outlines every tenant and what they're paying and what their deposit is. And also all of the, all of the units, the different units there. And you can take those three things, the rent roll, the T12 and the OM, and you can use those to do your underwriting on the property to determine whether uh, you can go in. Uh, now there's some other things that the, the OM will usually include rent comps. So if anybody's been in the single family world, there's neighborhood comps with a single family, which there's different ways to determine the valuation of your property. A lot of people use square footage. In commercial real estate, we use rent comps and there's a per square foot figure in there. And if you if you look at the property that you have, and let's say that based on all the other properties, you're charging $100 less than everyone else. And everyone else is either 
renting classic units. In other words, units that have not been renovated or they're renting premium units, units that have been renovated. And then you have to determine whether, you know, the type of units that you have on your, on the property that you're looking to buy versus the units that are on the properties that you have comparisons for. And then you can make a determination whether you can raise rents. You know, in other words, you can come in there and I can put $5,000, let's say, per unit. And we're going to renovate interiors, exteriors, and, and you, you add all that up. And let's say it's $5,000 a unit. And you're able, and, and currently they're renting for $150 under market. Now, they're renting for $150 under market because they need to be renovated. You're not getting market prices because the pool's broken, the playground equipment is old, the interiors are dated. And so you look at the property and you say, well, if I upgrade the pool and upgrade the playground equipment and I update the interiors and I spend $2 million or $1 million and a half or $3.2 million or whatever it is renovating the property, am I able to raise the rent to equal what the rest of the properties that are similar are charging? And does that produce a return for my investors that will make them inclined to invest in my property? That's, that's what you're trying to determine. That's what we're trying to determine. And, and if you, if that works, then, then you've got a deal that you can turn an LOI in to the broker and, the broker is going to ask for, you know, because you were asking about like, well, how do you establish that reputation, right? Broker is going to want to know, you know, what what properties you've closed on in the past, who, what you own, what's been the outcome of of the uh, properties that you own. Are they being, are they profitable? Have you ever foreclosed, you know, have you ever been foreclosed on? Have you ever turned an LOI in and then not closed on a property. In other words, like you, you, you said, I'll buy it. You got a, got a confirmation and then you didn't raise the funds to be able to close on the property. That's, that's not good. So now that's a no, no, that's a, that's a, that's a no, no, that's a no go. (laughs) No, no, no go. Bad news. So, you know, reputation with, with brokers is huge, huge. Hmm. Now, you know, I feel like it's easy when you have a mentor and, and, you know, you're leveraging your mentor's experience and even their network. And that's, that's what you pay for. Right. Now I want to go back and just to that one, that one statement where you said, when we talk about adding value, when you don't have money. And I feel like this whole idea of just adding value is, um, it's not that it's, what's, I'm not looking for the word imaginary, but sometimes it's a little bit intangible as to what that value could be, right? Especially like with, with me coming, coming in with little money, you know, I'm, I'm young, I've got a lot of time, but I've got zero experience. What value can I really bring to the table to, yeah. to be taken serious? And, and, I, and I, I will agree with you that I think that the whole, and I'll put air quotes around this adding value is overused <laughs> yeah, right. um, okay. because, because <laughs> like you say, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm coming into the deal and I'm this humble student, you know, 
how can I add any value to the sage? Right. 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 And, and I think that one thing is, is that coming in with an attitude of, I want to learn as much as I can goes a long way and out finding deals and showing hustle and bringing a deal to your mentor and saying, look, I, I, here's a deal I found. This is what I've done for underwriting. This is what I have looked at. You know, I've looked at CoStar reports. I've looked at the surrounding areas and it looks like this property is undervalued. It looks like this property has been mismanaged. It looks like this property is poised to where if we put in, uh, you know, upgraded interiors and, and all these amenities that we can raise the rent this much and we should be able to return a, a decent cash on cash and IRR and, and overall return for our investors. What do you think? Or, you know, can we run with this? Rather than just showing up and saying, you know, I want to learn, but you know, what, what, <laughs> and you know, me. teach me something, teach me something. Yeah. You know, if you, you know, I, I, I think that, I think that, that there is things to be learned. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. And people, people will be very accommodating and want to teach you. But I think that showing that hustle and going out and finding the deal and bringing it to them, even if the underwriting isn't completely accurate, and but just showing that initiative to your mentor, that's like, look, I found this deal. This is my underwriting, and this is what I've done. And and then they'll come back and they say, well, do you think that that year over year increase in rent is obtainable? Do you think that the increase in expenses is is valid? You know, do you think that the taxes are going to be what they are and and what happens in future years as we increase the value of the property or the taxes going to go up. Did you account for that? And how do you justify the rent that you're, you're proposing? And do you think that the market supports, you know, Formica countertops versus granite solid surface countertops, all of those things, if you can come to them with, a lot of that already covered. And then they just ask you a few questions. You go like, yeah, I thought about that. And this and this and this are like, no, you know what? That's a good point. Let me go back and do some figuring. Hmm. I think that, I think that the general attitude of the, of the mentor is, is going to be one of wanting to teach because, you know, we talked about the whole culture of real estate is completely different than, than um, I don't know. I, I'll just say corporate America. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Where it's kind of a dog eat dog kind of deal. The one thing that I found about real estate is, is that there is enough business to go around for everybody and everybody's willing to share and help the other person be successful in, in real estate. There is, there is somewhere in the neighborhood of, I can't remember it, close to $2 trillion. I'm, I'm, and I might be light on that. I, but it's in the trillions. It's in the trillions of dollars that are looking for a place to invest. And those, those people are looking for great deals. And so there's, 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 always, there's always opportunity there for everybody that's in the industry to be able to participate. 
And I, and I think that having a, an abundance mindset versus a scarcity mindset just really speaks volumes for the industry itself. Yeah. That's what um, I always was, I would say that was, was afraid of is just how competitive it can get. And you know, it doesn't have to be like that. Like, I, I guess like I just envision like, you know, someone trying to take the clothes or someone trying to take the deal and get their one up on me. And I thought I just needed to be that shark to going into it. But, you know, after reading the go giver and, and diving more into this industry, it, it definitely seems like there's a lot more of just the abundance mindset more than the sharks that are really just trying to to take on the little guys. So I can definitely agree. Now, I, I, I just want to ask one last question. And now this is getting just a little like even more granular and and detailed but we you know we we talked about underwriting uh and then going to like this this partner or or mentor and 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 i don't don't have any money by the way just to set the stage finding these partners saying like hey do you think this would be okay or this okay like you're trying to bring them the deal now when we should would you recommend find trying to find those partners first before reaching out to brokers or would you try and do those two simultaneous because you know when reaching out to brokers and they ask for your experience they're probably going to ask for the general partner's experience or i would i, I would assume that i would leverage my general partner's experience um but then are the partners going to take me serious if I don't, if I'm not bringing any deal and like underwriting it myself? So I guess it's, it's just a question of the chicken or the egg, but I'd love to just get your take on that. I would think that having your partner relationship lined up first would be where you'd want to go. Okay. Just because when you're talking to the broker, you're going to be able to talk to the broker with more confidence knowing that you have somebody behind you that's got your back. And then when you do turn an LOI in, you know with certainty that you're going to be able to act on that LOI. If, if, you, if you talk to a broker first and you turn an LOI in and you don't have that, that relationship established with your partners, right. you're going to be scrambling to get that partnership relationship established if the LOI is accepted. And I think it's going to be stressful. Stressful and also scary. And it's also like that. Oh, yep. dang. What did I just sign and get, my, get myself into when nothing's right. lined up? So you want to make sure you're done. I mean, you know, lines. LOI is not, LOI is, you know, it, there's, there's, it's non-binding, but you don't want to be putting out a bunch of LOIs and getting those LOIs accepted and then not being able to act on those LOIs because then that broker is definitely not going to take you serious on subsequent deals. Good to know. And, and you really need to, when I, when you, when you say broker relationship, the emphasis is on relationship. You need to be able to call them up and say, Hey dude, how's it going? You know, do you have any deals for me? And, and you're not going to be the only guy that's calling them doing that, but but establishing that relationship and being able to call them up and, you know, say, you know, hey, do you want to go get a beer? Do you, you know, do you have any deals for me? No, it's making me getting re- that more personal <laughs> relationship makes a big difference. Yeah, and it's also making me think like, ah, oh, dang, maybe I should be a broker. You know, people just want to call me up and like offer me beer and offer me to, 
you know, ask me how I'm doing. It's like, oh, things are great. Thank you for asking. <laughs> Get all the attention on me. <laughs> no, but yeah, thank Remember, you. Remember, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. <laughs> <laughs> it's always greener, no matter what, you know. Right. <laughs> no, but thank you for, for sharing your insights. Thank you for um, sharing your knowledge, your story. You know, I feel like not only myself, but just like the the people that listen to this are really going to just benefit from everything that you've been talking about and, you know, benefit from your story. And so I just want to thank you, Rodney, for, for coming on to the show again. And, you know, I hope to, to bring you back soon. Yeah. Thank you very much. And, uh, and uh, when you get your, when you get your first deal, you need to come talk to me. So yes. we can get you on, get you on my show. So. Let's do it. Okay. That's, that's, that's the goal then get it, get my first deal so I can be on Rodney's show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Thank you everyone. Uh, you know, connect with Rodney on LinkedIn, go to solarisequity.com and, you know, listen to his show multifamily Roundtable. Is that correct? Multifamily Roundtable. Yep. The multifamily Roundtable. The multifamily Roundtable. Great show as well. And I will see you all next time. Thanks for listening to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. If you got any value out of this episode, I'd greatly appreciate if you head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review the show, which will help more people receive that same value. If you're looking to connect and talk more about multifamily real estate, you can reach me at inrhythmmultifamily.com. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.